Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar. Welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Aaron Pym, and I'm the producer of the theatrical variety show, The Bedpost Sex Show. Here at the podcast, I like to invite guests and performers from my stage show and beyond to indulge me in a more in-depth conversation about sex and sexuality. This week, I have super special guests. We're Skyping in. It's a Skype interview, everybody. Um, they're podcasters and bloggers from Take Back Your Sex. Please welcome to the mic, Tanya and Megan. Uh-huh, yeah. Yay. <laughs> You're getting death hands really right. We should have like that music that gets played when like the guys come down to box. Yeah. <laughs> what would our song be? Well, we have a really funny story. We had um our our song used to be Stand By Me, <laughs> which is the most depressing song, and I don't even know why. It just sounds like it's a good song, but no, no, it's pretty. It's, <laughs> it's a downer. Apocalyptic. Don't use it as a team building song. <laughs> so that's not what that'll play. <laughs> yes, I wanted to be pour some sugar on me. I like that beat. Oh, yeah. Nice. But I take that one to stand by me anytime. <laughs> <laughs> so, ladies, for people who don't, um, or those poor, poor souls who don't know your podcast and your writing, do you want to just introduce yourselves and just talk about what uh, Take Back Your Sex is all about? No, I think it's funny to have them guess about us. Megan's more thorough with this. Oh my gosh, you're going to make me go first? Yes. <laughs> um, okay, well, so Tanya tried it. Oh my gosh, Tanya. <laughs> It was better with the song. Okay, so you can edit that right out. But uh, Tanya started the blog. Um, it wasn't originally called Take Back Your Sex. It was the Sexual Sexpert. Mm-hmm. And when I got involved, we kind of changed it to be more inclusive. And, inclusive. Yeah. And, um, well, <laughs> and that's the it. beginning better. That's why I was like, why did I want this to me? I know. I put her on the spot here. Well, I actually started the sex blog part of it. It's more like a Dear Diary thing on Instagram um, back in graduate school when I was um, becoming a uh, asex certified sex therapist, mm-hmm. but I was also becoming very disenfranchised with, I think, the way society as a whole and institutions in particular viewed, talked about sex, and so, and I'm kind of just an out-of-the-box personality anyways, so I... Um, like to call myself anymore this like flittery in the in the clouds artist that just kind of 
always had an ability to capture people's attention, but didn't necessarily have any kind of roots or foundation because, again, I really always have my head, head in the clouds kind of a girl. And then I met Megan, and Megan and I actually had a relationship that was outstanding of this blog. We were, um, she's my first poly girlfriend, and so, you know, she was here um, for a brief time in the house with me and my family, as to do with, like, nothing to do with the blog. Although, interestingly enough, it was funny at the time because she was a teacher, and I'm sure she'll talk about this a little bit more. She would put her face, remember? Or did we start with your face? Or did we cut your face out? No, I think I have a, a lot of first few pictures where we were, like, protecting your identity. Yeah. And then she kind of slowly but surely would seep in with me a little bit. And then so she had a life in the blog before she became um, part owner to it. Um, and then when she, when her and I broke up, it wasn't until we formed a friendship that I invited her over to just kind of muse for me because I was tired of being the muse of the blog. Yeah. If you, and I get the rest is history from there. She brings a lot in her personality and who she is like of the form and function, which is what I needed as kind of the flittery artist in the clouds. Cause I could never do it otherwise. <laughs> just be staying up there. And so that's why too, she is a lot of the, um, the podcast and the um, the blog parts of it too, because she has the attention span. I would say so. <laughs> she she's the foundation. Yeah, and then you can well, jump yeah, in. And then that's why you should have introduced. Hello, but <laughs> <laughs> that's your part, and then mine is second. But anyways, so my part of it is when we dated. I was actually a preschool teacher, mm-hmm. so like she said, I couldn't really uh, use my identity at first. So I, you know, I had this whole like alter ego going on, which was so much fun. But um, Violet, and I don't think that I ever thought of myself as someone who would be doing this full time, like mm-hmm. talking about sex and relationships. That just, as much as I loved sex and relationships <laughs> my whole life, I just never really thought of this myself. So <clears throat> when I met her, it made sense because I was just going through so much. Like I was leaving an emotionally abusive marriage, and I've had a lot of trauma in my early life that I was just starting to deal with. Mm-hmm. So once I saw how healing it was to get in touch with sexuality and sensuality and just being able to find my voice again. It really made sense for me. And um, outside of that, I mean, I've had a lot of experiences, which I felt I could use in this arena of, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about sex. Because at first I came out as a lesbian and then I ended up marrying a man and and dealing with the emotional abuse and then Mm -hmm. finally coming out as poly and bisexual, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I've done it all. So mm-hmm. <laughs> not at all, obviously, mm-hmm. but a lot of things that, and then learning to love my body after mm-hmm. eating disorders and all kinds of stuff that I felt people were gravitating to through blogging and Instagram. So wow, that's it. Our mm-hmm. long yeah, that's story. a long way to see. I told you you should have stuck with the song choices. <laughs> that's the but story that's- morning glory. Right. But also, I think Megan, too, had, um, I've always had a really rebellious spirit about me, but Megan had the advocacy part of it, too. So when she Mm -hmm. came on board is when this blog really started to advocate um, for sex and definitely the marginalized aspects of sex. But now it's kind of extrapolated to, like, just the marginalized aspects of life anymore because... Yeah, because you talk about all sorts of things that, you know, are kind of are kind of sex-related, but are more so just, like, life-related. Like, you talk about mm-hmm. grief a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. marginalization, like you're saying, intersections, intersectionality. 
Um, yeah, I just, I just really appreciate all, all the good work you two do with your writing and with your podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, that means a lot to us. It's a real struggle, I think, as you probably can identify to, to be a producer of all of this kind of content online and, and to put it all together. So it feels good. At least I, I say, do you agree that it feels good to hear this kind of feedback? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I thought the three of us all could probably speak on is having like kind of a public persona. You guys were saying how you used to use aliases and, you know, maybe not put your face in a lot of uh, your advertising and whatnot. But now you're you're both very public with your like persona, your take back your sex persona, as am I with my bedpost persona, mm -hmm. like do you, what are the advantages and the disadvantages you guys are finding with having such a public persona like that? Well, that's, well, it's, it's all over the place with that. Yeah. I mean, I am a person who jumps in first and then afterwards like, oh, should I have jumped in? So for me personally, it was kind of like, I didn't have time. To, we actually had a podcast sometime and we talked about this too, because I was just saying like, I didn't really have time to stop any of it before it happened. Right. So I had to kind of retroactively look at the decisions that I made to make myself go public. I have quite literally lost 90, 90, I'd say a solid 90 to 95% of all of my formal, former village. Wow. So it, well, yeah, it really had huge ramifications for me. Um, and it did so for my husband and then it's, you know, it's continued to do so for my children. Yeah. And I mean, they're not horrifying, certainly not up against what's going on with the rest of the world. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's relative to our family and our sense of security. But I think right now we really work hard to keep ourselves safe and we do things as smart as we can. But for me in particular, it was important, I think, to have, um, my face be connected to my work and I'm not exactly sure why that was important to me initially I just know that it was and it happened and and here you are now <laughs> yeah here we are now yeah and I don't even know how you how was your journey with this in terms of confidentiality me or Megan oh I'm sorry I know I was looking at me <laughs> <laughs> saying that to um well both of you actually yeah Megan go right ahead I'd love to hear your your take on it as well just like because we all have partners, as far as I know, like uh, like life partners. Um, so what's your what? Yeah, what is your whole situation as well? Well, I'm trying to think. When when I started, like I said, I was a teacher, and um, that's what I went to school for, and that's what I did for so many years. And it was it was like being at home for me. It was just what I was used to, especially going through a divorce. That was like what I clung to was like my job that I had. So I think I just knew that it wouldn't be appropriate of me, even though I hate to say that like that, but I could lose my job for something like having nude photos on the internet. And at the time, we were going full nude on WordPress, mm -hmm. which anyone, anyone, yeah. could see. anyone could see it at that point. So um, I guess I felt like it was a matter of time before I had to address that in some way. You know, I didn't know what I would do, but I just figured at some point I'm going to have to talk about this with mm -hmm. an employer or I'm going to have to, like, make a decision to leave. But for me, someone made an account that were, was pretending to be me and they were using my real name mm. and my maiden name and married name and uh, my mom's murderer's name. So 
Wow. At that point, that kind of pushed me into coming out as myself because I realized that I had a pretty good idea who it was, and it's someone that obviously knows me. Yes. Who is following everything that I'm doing, and I felt very attacked and and scared, you know, like I was being watched and just really vulnerable about it. And so I figured at that point I could either quit doing that, and I think I did. I called Tanya. Yeah, and she was said, like, I'm out. I was at work, and I was like, oh, my God. I said, really? all the photos of me, mm-hmm. take down everything. Well, we had an intern at the time, yeah. so we had coordinated with him to take them all down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I said, just take all my stuff off, and I can't do this. I have to be done. Yeah. But then later I thought about it, and I was like, no, I guess I'll just quit my teaching job. Ah. <laughs> That's uh, So because I felt like, what am I really afraid of? I, I don't want to give my power away to, to this person who I thought it was again. So the only thing they could take away from me was my job, and that would be their only – I mean, what else were they trying to say? It was called Secrets of My Double Life. Oh, and I just felt like that was really all I had. I could lose was my job at this point. So I just ended up quitting my job. And then once I had that, because I don't know that I would have done it, or it would have taken a much longer time if someone hadn't done that to me, mm-hmm. which was traumatic. But, I mean, it made me make that decision. And it felt freeing after that to say, well, what the fuck can anyone take from me anymore, you know? So... It felt very empowering to be able to use my, I think I was using my face here and there, but to come out and finally to say, well, my name is actually Megan, mm-hmm. and I have nothing to lose anymore, mm-hmm. so I mean. Well, and I think it was timing yeah. for you too, right, because you were kind of at the end of your career, or feelings that you yeah. were, right, so it wasn't like somebody outed you and you were like, oh, I have to give up teacher, uh, yeah. being a teacher, you were ready well, to, yeah. I guess yeah. at that point it is important to also say that I had felt like I had outgrown it, maybe, yeah. and the next step would be to be more of, like, an administrative role of a school, which I also did not want to do, hmm. so it wasn't as hard, it wasn't like I was so in love with my job, and then this yeah. happened, it was kind of like, well, this just pushed me over the edge of, I'm done here, because and now I felt so much freedom to be able to talk about so many things yeah. that were so important to me. Yeah, because I think for us, too, it was, and I think that's when I said earlier, I said I don't know why it was so important for me to put my face to my work, but I think, too, is because even when Megan wasn't involved, she's, it certainly is this way now, but even when she wasn't involved, it really was about sex education, sexual freedom, sexual liberation. Of course, I love to dress up. Of course, I love to have sexual photos. Of course, I love to hear comments, mm-hmm. but... I was, you know, I think we were always trying to use this platform as a way to get it disseminate really important information um, about sex. And so at that point, when we really started to make that a part of this mission statement, it was kind of really easy to be able to put your face to your body mm-hmm. and, you know, make yourself whole again and come out to the world and say, okay, I know that mm-hmm. there's risk involved with this. But yeah. I'm willing and able to take the risk at this point. So, And I also love how you both, and I'd like to think I, I kind of do the same thing, where it's not so segregated like um, sex education versus stuff like posting sexy photos of yourself and being seen as a sexual being as well. Because I feel like a lot of people in the kind of sex education field um, – 
want to keep those as separate as possible and they never talk about their personal private sex lives ever in a public forum um and for whatever reason like even being a sex educator it's taboo to have you know semi-nude or nude photos and to be talking about people you fucked and uh you know living like an open say non-monogamous uh lifestyle like the three of us do like even that even in the sex education field it's stigmatized but so true even today we were talking about that about like well it feels so I don't know it feels scary to think like the further we go into nudity and sex work if we Mm -hmm. can call it that the harder it seems for me to try to find our voice as sex educators and that is really sad because I've had to deal with that with teaching it was like well I guess that makes sense people aren't going to want me to teach their young children if I have nudes on the internet as fucked up as that is like okay I can wrap my head Mm -hmm. around that but then to think about well why can't we be legit sex educators and also be cam girls or anything you know what I mean so that's a really yeah yeah if anything it would give you you know you would have more experience to then speak on as a sex educator you know well, and the only other thing that I've ever had to really battle with this is, like, being a mother. Yes, <laughs> And it's yes. so funny because I've gotten so much slut-shaming and so many people have gotten so critical as to say, like, wow, I feel bad for your children. And I remember my I had, like, a really snippy retort because I can be quite sarcastic, but mm-hmm. I had to really think about it. I was like, yeah, you know what? I do feel bad. I mean, I wouldn't feel bad for my kids because they're growing up in a super inclusive home where really we can talk about anything and I embrace all, I mean, so much of the spectrum. So, like, it's, it, it, but people can't understand those perspectives. And then the only other thing that I've ever really battled, too, is, and I think even Megan's had her own experience of this, is, like, being able to talk about the sexual and motherhood. So, for yeah. me in particular, of course, it's, like, I'm a hypersexual woman, And I feel like people even view that sometimes as me being a dangerous person for my children to even be around. Now, nobody in my village has outwardly said that to me. I mean, like I said, I lost a lot of my village because at this point I'm just far too controversial for most people. Hmm. But, um, I mean, I feel like that's the sentiment. And so I'm constantly trying to challenge that. And then I know, um, you know, Megan, when she had come to me and we both knew it was intrinsically really important for her to talk about her mom's murder and her trauma, but it was always like, how does this apply with sex, right? Remember the incongruency of like, well, I want to talk about my mom's death, but at the same time I have, you know, my bare ass in this other, you know, area of the blog or whatever. So it really does become really hard to rectify these certain areas of life because for whatever reason or the reasons that are very well known, we have segregated and compartmentalized those two categories of life, which don't make sense whatsoever. But yeah, yeah, there's literally no logic behind it. Why, why a sex worker can't be a good caretaker? Like it it has, there's no, no connection. (laughs) And, and why someone who's suffered, you know, a trauma, family trauma in their life, why they can't, why they can't post their ass on their fucking blog. Like, why it just has nothing to do with one another. You're, you're looking at a person. You're looking at a round person who does a job in the daytime, who takes care of people, who has a partner probably maybe, who, you know, is a normal, goes about their normal everyday life like you, obviously they have a sex life 
as well as a professional life. Like, you know, it, it's a real person you're looking at. So I don't understand why it's so odd to see these different facets, like, you know, right. a, a nude photo and then, you know, talking about a serious subject the next. Well, I think it's probably really also uh, indicative of how um, hard society has worked to separate sex from everyday life and to put it into the shadows. And, you know, another really big criticism I've had is, you know, my use of my children in my blog. And you had said something earlier about it's, it's nice to see that it's that, you know, you're just everyday regular people, but you also talk about sex. Yeah. And so it's like, well, I also, you know, I'm, I'm not always talking about sex. We, her and I work hard, I think, to put in our person personalities and our other, the other loves of our lives. But, uh, you know, I've gotten, like I said, a lot of criticism for that in the past as well. Mm-hmm. And most of it from my husband or my family too. I've had to fight a lot in that. But I mean, I have come back and it's like, why can't I be a whole person? Why does this have to be so separate? I don't understand. The more we talk about these things, the more we normalize them, Mm -hmm. the more we are able to have these conversations, the easier they're going to be. So anyhow, it's an awesome plug. Yeah. Megan, Megan, do you ever um, experience issues like, say, with your partner and it and uh, having this like open sexual persona online, do you ever, I, I, and I know I, I um, deal with the same thing where I want to respect my partner's privacy. Um, you know, so there's always kind of a, a balancing act essentially that I have to conduct, but do you find the same thing even with your partner and, you know, do they have an opinion on the things you do online? Yes, but I think that, uh, well, I know the difference for me and Tanya, and I'm not sure about your partner, but I met my partner only two years ago, so she pretty much was with me when I started doing this with the blog and with Tanya, so she's been there from the beginning, so it really hasn't been like our relationship was going and then suddenly I said, okay, now I want to do this. She was there through the beginning of it all, so she's been really supportive. And we have both been married before, and we are now, both of us are in our 30s. So I think it's just a different level of, like, maturity and coming together at this certain point where we have, you know, been divorced. So we're like, okay, this is what we want, and this is what we're willing to put up with. And we don't have children, so I think that's been a lot easier for us. And her family actually knows now everything that I do, and they've just told me over the weekend how many people are looking and watching what I do, which makes me at first embarrassed, but then also like, okay, cool, at least the hard part's over, you know? <laughs> like, at yeah. least there to So I think that's been easier in a way for me because the only thing I can compare it to would be my ex-husband, which it would be almost like I couldn't, he wouldn't let me do this, and his family would have a huge issue with it thinking that it's wrong or, you know. Yeah. So for me, I feel like it's been pretty easy. Knock on wood. <laughs> yes. In that one, I don't, that was definitely like very traumatic, the whole like intro to coming out. But mm-hmm. now I feel like it feels good and empowering. And I do worry that, because I know how people are and, and I've got to hear a little bit of like the criticism or like, do you know what she does? being asked to certain family members and I know that for some people it doesn't make sense but I think like I said in the beginning at this point I've done so many things I mean I've came out to my family 
my conservative family as a lesbian, and then I was like, never mind, marrying a man now. <laughs> <laughs> and then divorced him, and then I'm like, hey guys, I'm back out. And then, I'm back in. And then now they know me as, you know, being in poly relationships and having been with Tanya and her husband, so yeah. they just don't know what to think. We're a mixed bag over here. At this point, they're kind of like, well, you know, whatever, it's not even shocking anymore. So... <laughs> But as far as the privacy of my partner, I am always aware that at some point it might not be okay for her to be involved. So we're trying to always work that out. Like, can I show your face? Am I going to say your name? Uh, we've tried to just use her initial to leave her out as much as possible. But I so know, and I've only ever learned her as her initial now. So I always okay. You, I mean, we haven't been too careful. So, so far it's been okay. But at, at some point it might have to change and then... That's a little hard because I'm so used to now, yeah. like, just saying everything, whatever I want. And yeah. all of our families know that we're not mm-hmm. monogamous anymore. So they're kind of like, okay, cool. If you're, they're not going to have to go and tell her, like, I'm cheating or anything. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, and it's, I would say it's probably the easiest for me and Megan, um, too, in this sense, because I know from, like, my husband doesn't really want any hmm. image. His images aren't on there hardly at all. I don't talk about him all that much. And that's on purpose, intentional to keep him yes. as confidential as possible per his request. Yeah. But I'm able to, like, talk about Megan a lot, or I'm able to, like, clearly me, me and Megan have as much image out there of us together or separate or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I'm able to, at least for myself, feel like I'm still repping a partner, which is important to me, like the, the image with the body kind of a thing. Like I want to feel, I mean, I intentionally made this blog that was first person and then, you know, to be able to talk about relationships. How do you work out that confidentiality on your end with your partner? Um, I try to have the conversations with him before I do things. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes I run into a wall where I'll uh, right. talk about something and then he'll get uncomfortable afterwards. And then, you know, you just you just deal with it. You're just like, okay, what about that made you uncomfortable? How can, uh, you know, in the future, what can I do to, you know, try to make this not happen again? Because, you know, like like you guys are finding, you know, it's a hard balance. You want to have... You want to say what you want to say and you want to post, you know, whatever pictures and, and however you want to present yourself. Right. But, but there's got to be a little bit of a filter on it. So it's kind of, you know, we, I do my best, (laughs) let's put it that way, (laughs) but you know, it's not, uh, it's not perfect. I I really do try to respect, you know, his privacy and his comfortability levels, but, uh, you know, it, it is, uh, kind of a trial and error type of a setup where, (laughs) where even now, you know, he'll be like, I'll I'll just see, you know, that he's uncomfortable and I'm like, okay, was it this photo I posted today? (laughs) You know, My husband refuses till this day. He will never look at my social media ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get that like, because. Long, right? Yeah. I've always envious of Megan because she'll get the cute comments and stuff because her partner does follow along. So I do think that's fun. Yeah. If I post something that's really like vulnerable or something that I'm nervous about, I'll be like, go like my photo. And oh my God. I love it. <laughs> 
do it, and then I'm like, okay, at least I have one night nice before the shitstorm of other people come. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's plenty of posts that I put up, like, just on Facebook, uh, where Matt is the only person liking it. <laughs> For sure. As long but, as you have one fan, right? Yeah. My, one fan won't even come around. So. My, yeah, my most important fan. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's nicer when you can all, all play along, you know, it's, it's good it's good to be in a good space where I'm posting things that he's totally comfortable with and supporting and loving and encouraging you know it's always better to make that choice for me I've found anyways rather than you know post something that I know is going to make him uncomfortable you know Mm -hmm. no matter what the reasoning of the uh the the subject matter is for me I feel like that's always the better choice yeah, yeah, I think that's probably been pretty beneficial to your relationship in that respect. Yeah, I mean, that's the idea. That's <laughs> the one area that I do have the privilege with you, too, is because my partner never checks. I mean, so I, I just do it kind of ethically in my own head, but yeah. I don't have anyone looking. <laughs> Self-censor. <laughs> right. But um, we should take a break, actually, before we move on. Um, so... Everybody, we're going to hear a couple words from our amazing sponsors, Come As You Are. They're an amazing uh, sex shop here in Toronto. Trans-owned, trans-operated, super amazing, body-safe, eco-friendly products. And they're just goddamn amazing people. So we were going to take a couple-minute break, and then we'll be right back with Megan and Tanya from Take Back Your Sex. This episode has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Enter coupon code BEDPOST when you check out at comeasyouare.com to receive a 15% discount. And don't forget that shipping on orders over $50 is free in Canada. That's B-E-D-P-O-S-T when you visit comeasyouare.com. Welcome back to the Bed Post Podcast. I'm here with Megan and Tanya from Take Back Your Sex. Hello. Hello. <laughs> we had a little wine break. Yeah. <laughs> this, is what, this is what soccer moms do in the middle of the day. <laughs> Kids are home and dinner is in the crock pot. Wine time. Oh, yeah, because you're. Uh, it's like around 4 for you. Yeah. And it's around yeah. 7 p.m. for me, so it's well into the evening over here. Where, where are you uh, Skyping me from? We are in Los Angeles, California. Um, for the second half, I'd love to talk about non-monogamy with you two because I feel like we might have three different like non-monogamy setups between the three of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know who would like to start. Maybe Megan. I feel like we've heard. Yeah. We should hear for, more from you. <laughs> <laughs> and I love talking about polyamory so she's a big poly enthusiast (laughs) perfect 
<laughs> what uh, what works for you? What's your what's your poly about? Um, okay, well, it might be kind of long. I'll try to make it short. I just, well, Tani was my first poly relationship, and at the time, we didn't even have that term. Mm-hmm. We just kind of, well, we learned about it after, after reading The Ethical Slut. Yeah. I think that's when we were like, hey, this is us. We're in a poly relationship. But before that, I had pretty much always been poly, but just not always with everyone's consent which had made me feel like a horrible relationship person. And I felt like it was just one of those things where, because so many people had told me that I felt like something was missing for me. Like I don't love myself enough or I need attention from people or I'm just a bad girlfriend. Like all these different things were in my head. Yeah. So that's why once, uh, and not specifically with Tanya, although I loved it. I remember thinking when I was dating her and then at times, sometimes her husband or talking to other people, I was like, I could do this forever. This is awesome. Yeah. But it's still just, I didn't give myself that permission yet of like, this is a real valid thing. So I think I was still waiting for like the right monogamous person to come along. And then I met my other partner, Kay, who we've talked about, who I'm still with. And so once I met her, it, well, we had already broken up, me and Tanya. But anyways, I felt like, oh, this is what I was waiting for. And, you know, like the whole new relationship stuff, I felt like, oh, I could be monogamous. This is the one for me. Yeah. This is awesome. But then a year later, it kind of, I didn't do anything behind her back, which I used to do. But I started to feel that itch of like, not bored, but just something is off. Like something about me feels like I'm not being true to myself or instead of just burning the relationship down to the ground like I have in the past, yeah, I decided to ask her because now me doing the blog and uh, going to like sex positive meetups, she knows what polyamory is. And so I was like, hey, what do you think about this? And that's how it started for us. But it really gave me, it made sense of a lot of my past behaviors. Like I said, instead of feeling like I'm just not meant for relationships, I felt like, well, I'm just not meant for monogamy. Yeah. And um, also still struggling with having been with men and women and wanting to put myself into a box of lesbian or heterosexual, being poly kind of gave me that freedom to say, I can be both. And not that everyone who is bi or pansexual needs to be polyamorous, but for me, that's just kind of how I was able to like settle into that identity without so much shame and judgment of myself. Yeah. So for me, it had felt like, you know, like that ah moment mm-hmm. of like, this is exactly what I've been waiting for. Um, so for us, we were monogamous for a year, my partner and I, and now we're poly. Mm-hmm. And at this, when I met my partner, I told her I was a lesbian, fully thinking, you know, like mm-hmm. that's what I've identified with most and, and I'm a lesbian. So when I told her I wanted to be poly, I also had to say, and I think I want to date men. Right. And since then, it has you know, I've realized that I'm not just interested in men and women. I'm interested in all people. It doesn't matter about gender or how they express themselves. So that's been its whole journey on its own. But it was, it was a lot to put on someone to say, like, I don't want to be monogamous anymore. And I also am not a lesbian. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Somehow we have made it work. And we've both been really happy and felt a lot of freedom. And also, I've I've been the one I was the one who like initiated it, and I've been the one that has mostly dated, and I've 
had out of town relationships and all kinds of things that she's kind of, uh, I felt guilty that she was not doing as much as me, but she has said like, well, I feel that watching you will give me the confidence to do it myself later on, mm-hmm. which made me feel better about it. But yeah, there's just, sometimes they're challenging. And so when I say that I'm like, you know, I call myself a poly princess on Instagram <laughs> and I talk about like how much fun and awesomeness it is, but it is still hard as much yeah. as I feel like it's what I'm meant to be. I'm definitely jealous at times and I'm still like, Hey, I'll be poly and you be monogamous. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That will work for me. <laughs> just, just stay my best fan ever. Yeah. Always. <laughs> so by no means am I like the expert on poly or do I have it all figured out? Because I cried when my partner and I matched on Tinder Oh. And I was kind of like, no, never mind. Let's just fuck this yeah, all right, together. Right, We're that. not doing this anymore because I saw her, and I that was the first time I put it into like perspective of, hey, other people are seeing this. Yes, and she's hot, and she's mine, and yeah. so we've had to learn to like that language that is so typical that I've just been raised with. Yeah, <laughs> had to learn slowly to like let go of that, and that it's okay, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, always threatening it's gonna be fine so did I answer you I feel like I just went off on this whole tangent no it's great <laughs> you you mentioned a lot of a lot of interesting things so the way that you you both uh were dating monogamously and then became kind of open or non-monogamous or uh poly because that that's a stigma right there like if if somebody asks to have an open relationship after you've been dating a year that's like the stigma is that you're going to that person like you got you're going to be breaking up right like yeah. that that's the stepping stone to breaking up that or that something's wrong yeah or that something's wrong yeah, in the relationship some void, right there's some which void. i felt like i needed to immediately defend and and then i felt like she's going to think it's bullshit because i'm just right off the bat saying like but I'm so happy and nothing's wrong. And I wanted her to, you know, I don't want her to think that's like an excuse. And I mean, I think she really did. That's why it's been successful because I think she could feel that, that Mm -hmm. it's nothing about you. I'm so happy. I'm in love. I'm happy with everything. Yeah. There's just something that I need that maybe one person can't fulfill or that other people. And I've noticed being poly that people bring out different sides of me, which is so important for me yes. and again I have to realize like all the time I find myself when I have friends with problems in their relationship I'm like in my head saying well you guys should just be poly and then I'm like no that's not the answer for everyone <laughs> <laughs> it's working for me so yeah there's a lot to it all and then the other thing you mentioned how um at, at this point that you're more active in the poly lifestyle than your partner and then another stigma is that like you know, the, that only one partner wants to be poly and then the other person just has to let them and just has to deal with it, you know, but in, in reality, I find, you know, that, that you have different needs, you're two different people. So you might need to be more active. That's what you're, you need. And that person doesn't need to be as active and that yeah. it doesn't have to be perfectly balanced with the number of partners you guys are seeing and the number of sexual experiences. And it, it's, it can be, you know, quote unquote, like unbalanced and still work for those two people. Yeah. And that's very true. Cause there are times when I'll 
ask, like, do you resent me because of this? And she just says, no, I just don't have time or I don't have the interest or I'm perfectly happy with the way things are. Yeah. And then I just have to trust her because, I mean, what else can I do? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then the other thing you talked about, which is probably the biggest thing to talk about when it comes to non-monogamy is jealousy, right? And that it's okay that it's there and it's going to be there probably, you know, like with most new partners, I feel like I feel jealousy. And then it's like, then it becomes normalized and it's like, okay, there's no threat. They don't love you any less. They're not going to take away and that you're going to feel jealousy and it's okay. And just communicate about it. And you know, it doesn't mean that the polyamory is not for you or not working or you're not doing it right. It just means that you're human beings with feelings. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, just keep trying and keep adapting and keep trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes you question more of like, why am I jealous? Or what is yes. the real feeling? Because we, my partner and I realized sometimes when she would say she was feeling jealous, there was really something else going on. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even about the person at all. And then, so it really forced us to, like, go into issues that we might have just glossed over. Yeah. Like, wish that you would spend this amount of time with me in the morning. And it's turning into, like, well, it's just, it's because you're talking to someone else. And really, it's like, no, we could totally do that. We just had to talk about it. And now that problem's mm-hmm. fixed. Yeah, of course, there's a lot of conversations, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the key, right? Communication. Mm-hmm. So Tanya, you swing. I do. Yes. Tell tell us about swinging. I don't I don't know if I've ever had somebody on the podcast talking about swinging. Oh, well I'm honored to be your first if that's <laughs> the case. That's exciting. Yeah, swinging is a really interesting lifestyle, I would say, and I have I I don't think you'll find a better student of polyamory than Megan. Megan is a very dedicated student. It's why Mm -hmm. I think she was going to reach administration level (laughs) with preschoolers until we got her as our administration exec. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, my, you know, I don't consider myself necessary. I mean, I don't really know what I consider myself. It's hard because I have a different partner situation. My partner prefers an extremely private life. Like, mm-hmm. he would actually prefer, find, like, just completely dropped his name from the block. You know, he just wants to live so with so much animity, and it's so hard because he wants to stay married to me. He wants to be my husband, but it's a real – it's been, always been a real struggle for him, and he's been doing this. I told him the other day, I go, isn't it funny because I just lost another Instagram at almost 10,000. Oh, God, and yes. I- you had it deleted. Yes. So I was like, isn't it funny how much the blog has become a part of our life from when I used to like hide it from you to like, now you know, and like, he was like, I'm sorry, babe, even my daughter, my daughter was like, ah, you know, my whole family's really invested in this blog at this point, Mm -hmm. which has been really freeing and exciting for me, I will say. But at the same time, I do have to protect my children's identity. And we just had a, a little flip, a little mess up right there with like, actually Megan experienced it, right? Like, she came on to a live Megan was doing and she, Megan freaked out and like texted me like, Oh my God, she's giving out information. And it's like, Oh my God, no. So I had to have this conversation with her. And, and then with my husband, I can't really talk about my sex with him as much because I think that 
just out of respect for his wishes, I try to limit my conversations about him, especially if they're vulnerable or sexual in nature. Right. It's, I don't think he cares as much as if I'm talking about, you know, just the everyday livings of life. And I'm very much in love with my husband. We've been together for 16 years, so we have a lot of just really boring stuff that happens. Yeah. But um, I did actually at one point um, talk a lot about our swinging journeys, and that was really hard to do with him being that private. Right. So the swinging lifestyle actually was a compromise that we got into that, um, you know, I had had an affair. My husband, you know, wanted to get a divorce. We fought really hard within our marriage to stay together. But he's this, you know, he's a smart man, and he came to me, and he's like, you know, you have these needs at the time. It was, like, as a bisexual woman. Mm-hmm. I don't trust that you're not going to do this. Like, how are we going to rectify this? So we started to do threesomes, and then we fell into sex clubs, and then we kind of fell into the swinging lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my husband doesn't necessarily identify as non-monogamous, and so I have to respect that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really even have an identity at this point other than swingers, so... Um, you know, we've been on podcasts before where it's like an, even a question of whether that's right. Like, a, is that a polyamorous lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Is it its own thing? Um, there's a lot of objectifying aspects to it. So that's kind of been hard for me as a feminist. So I have kind of a much different journey with the whole non-monogamy thing. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, I consider myself to be non-monogamous, but I'm in, you know, just this like lifestyle committed relationship with this partner that, um, I don't know, so it gets a little bit trickier for me. But mm-hmm. the swinging lifestyle in, in particular, I will say, has been quite an adventure and parallels the polyamorous lifestyle in the sense that it forces a lot of really interesting conversations. And I will say my biggest plug for the swinger lifestyle in general is um, – it creates this really fun partnership between your you and your partner. Because um, you don't necessarily, I don't think you have to be necessarily polyamorous to be a swinger. You could definitely be very monogamous and with that one person and just having, you know, casual encounters with other people together as a unit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of couples end up liking about the lifestyle because it, def- it definitely keeps you more of a team player in that sense. You guys are usually doing things together. And it creates a fun, adventurous part of life that can add to marriage because there's so much that detracts from marriage or partnerships, even if you're not married, if you're a long-term partner. You know, kids add stress and take from your marriage or your partner. Let's call it partnership. Um, Bills do. uh, Jobs do. I mean, everything detracts from it. So swinging for us has been a place that's really added to it in terms of the adventure, the sexiness, it's hot. My husband in no way, shape, or form ever wanted to share me. That is not anything he ever wanted to do. But now that he does, I think he's started to take a little bit of stock in like reclaiming me or or how much better I am in bed now that I've had that <laughs> kind of practice and things like that. So, And even like if you could explain just for people who don't completely know what, what are the differences or even the main differences between like swinging and a poly lifestyle or an open marriage? Sure. Well, I would say if I had to put a spin on it, I would say that polyamory is it involves usually a lot more than swinging does so swinging is probably more on a surface level you're going to go to sex clubs together 
You're going to have exchanges between other couples. Again, it's usually something you do mostly with your partner. Mm -hmm. Although lots of swingers have different arrangements. I mean, this is no rule, of course. Um, and you can also develop relationships with other couples mm -hmm. and like have regular swinging other, like dating other couples, mm -hmm. um, where I would say where versus polyamory, where you could probably date on your own or you, you know, it's implied that you, you definitely have the potential to date on your, your own. And then also, um, the love aspect or the longevity part of it. But I don't know. What do you think, Megan? Yeah, I would say that it's, um, I mean, I know the word itself means like many loves mm -hmm. so so it implies more than just sex yeah yeah and mm -hmm. I mean it's a lot of people's separate date or you know you could be solo poly mm -hmm. yeah and um for my partner and I we kind of just started toying with the idea of like what if we have a triad so yeah in that way we would be kind of dating someone together but we're not ready for that yet but there's you know there's different things you could do with poly but at the end of the day to me it seems a lot more long-term and yeah, the longevity aspect of it. or not like it has to be but the potential is there mm -hmm. and you know just the whole emotional and loving part of it and that is what made it appealing to me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but like I said that's there's more emotional parts just because two people are poly doesn't mean they're gonna right. end up in a forever relationship <laughs> right <laughs> I've definitely dated a lot and talked to a lot of people and it hasn't worked out so just be being the label of poly doesn't necessarily mean it okay. but it's there you know yeah. it's like this is what generally what you're looking mm -hmm. for well I was gonna say also if I had to quantify it if we're gonna get all scientific here <laughs> I would say that polyamory because it's so true you can be solo poly and, and Megan and I just discovered that together as a blog recently with Katie Speaks one of the guests that we had on that spoke about that mm-hmm but um, I would say polyamory brings in a lot more of, like, the emotional components of it, whereas swinging itself is, like, a lifestyle that has a lot more to do with sex and, like, kind of sexual adventure or yeah. keeping sex hot. Um, you know, and that, again, is my, my – um, why I find it hard to say, like, well, I'm a singer because it sounds so superficial in nature, but right. it really has brought a lot of um, – substance to my marriage um and it's been a really a uh, really good compromise for us because again my husband also has gone outside of our marriage so it wasn't just me but it was kind of like how do we rectify this one thing we're 16 years together we've had sex with each other for that long it's been fun he's still by far my best lover but how do we spice it up and for us this was the answer it's not the answer for everyone because there's definitely high levels of jealousy yep. Megan never even knew this but she had certain aspects of jealousy that she brought into our house mm -hmm. you know, at the time I never talked about it with her but I we have since then and at the time I had to work it out with my husband because he had slept with her and then it was like oh my god what does that mean for me and she was my girlfriend it was just so confusing yeah so I would say I've never had faster lessons in learning about jealousy yes. than I than I did becoming a swinger yes. or, you know, non or whatever you label it, but you get some really fast sped up lessons on jealousy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with them, I think it was so interesting because it, it's so fun to be like the third person of someone's relationship because you don't have to deal with all that mm -hmm. stuff. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you know that like, well, these people aren't my husband or wife, but I'm here to have a lot of fun right. and, you so know, just yeah. explore all these fun sexual things or whatever, even emotional. I'm here to explore. Mm -hmm. yeah. But when my partner and I became poly, it was so much diff 
And it was like, wait a minute, what? Like, you can't love anyone else. Like, you can't, you know, even though I knew that's what I was signing up for, it gets to that, you know, those things didn't happen with me being involved in someone else's marriage. Yeah. But my own primary partnership or, you know, someone I'd been monogamous with, yeah. those things occur where I'm like, I want you to be poly, but then the next day I'm like, wait a minute, no, don't talk to anyone. <laughs> And those well, things you really have to get over. Like, you, yeah. Can't, yeah. you can't be that way mm-hmm. if you're going to open your relationship. And as you were talking, I was just thinking, like, or I don't know if we're making it sound bad or good, but I feel like in a way where a lot of success stories all rolled into one because yeah. my husband and I successfully mitigated my jealousy issues over Megan and Megan's success, you know, and Kay successfully have mitigated theirs. Yeah. And, but then I also feel like, oh my gosh, that's so much pressure. Megan, we could never break up. <laughs> like we have to stay together forever. <laughs> and I don't want that to be the pressure either. It's just. No. Yeah. That's the other thing. When polyamory doesn't work, there's almost like a pressure to make it work to prove I, to everyone that it's like a valid, like format for a relationship. Like, right. We're camping in it. (laughs) No, I was just going to say really quick that I think that's the same with jealousy. A lot of people who, and I write about polyamory too, there's like this expectation that at some point you just aren't jealous anymore. And for me, it hasn't been the case. And a lot of other people have said like, well, I don't want to talk about it because I am jealous still. And it's like, well, and we have to be honest that that just isn't that easy. It doesn't just go away. It never does. It really still can be there. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's like it flares up it flares up with every like new partner for us kind of, and then it subsides. And then like with a new partner, it flares up because you just have different dynamics with, you know, the different people. But it does get less and less the intensity, I would say. Yeah. I would say that too. Yeah. I'm a lot more, I would say rational. And even like Megan and I have just kind of had issues over the weekend or whatnot. And it's like, even my ability, this is, I think how it bleeds into other areas of your life. It seems like you just get, oh, God, I got to check on kids, but it just seems like you're able to, like, rationalize rationalize things so much easier this way that, does that make sense? Like, I I feel like... Yeah, the more experience you get, like, through doing it, that's more tools that you have, right, to deal with similar situations in the future, so for sure. Yeah, and that's definitely because I was just going to say, I'm not, I mean, I'm never jealous of Megan, but that's not true. I'll cut a bitch if she comes in between us. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Even like jealousy and best friend stuff. And so we even joke about that. Like I, and I always yell at Megan because I am a very bisexual woman, but I have not been craving women lately because of Megan. She fills that space in my head. So I think it's even, I got to check on my kids. I can hear them destroying everything in the living room, but I think it's even relevant in relationships outside of these primary or whatever we call, although I consider Megan a primary partner, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, ladies, we're pretty much at time. I'm going to let you go uh, Go check on your kids, Tanya. <laughs> oh, yeah, she already... She, she what? Okay, great. Megan, maybe then... We talk so much, sorry. Uh, no, it's perfect. But, I mean, I feel like I could talk to you both for, like, hours, right? Um, Megan, while she's gone, do you want to uh, just tell people... Uh, like where, where and when and what about, uh, take back your sex all on your social stuff. So Tanya's Instagram is just deleted. Yes. Uh, but we have the blog one, which we're trying hard all the time to not do anything that could possibly get deleted. <laughs> Please don't delete us Instagram. Our Instagram gods. It is take back your sex on Instagram. Great. And my Instagram is Megan Ashley Wright, which probably will be gone soon also. <laughs> 
And then also on Twitter, it's Take Back Your Sex. And the blog, TakeBackYourSex.com. And then the only other thing we really use is Patreon, which is where we do all the uncensored photos and videos. And we also write there. Yeah, I've started to write there a lot. I daily muse there. So it's like and that actually, blog. yeah, well, there's a lot of public stuff that's for free. And then there's some paid for content as well. So Perfect. But And that is at Patreon.com slash TakeBackYourSex. Mm-hmm. So Amazing. that's where we're at pretty much daily. And All your and your podcast again. Where can we find oh. it? And oh, yeah, I was just like, oh, screw the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else matters. The podcast is on iTunes, Google, Stitcher. I'm, I mean, I guess everywhere podcast can be, and it's also under Take Back Your Sex. Okay, amazing. Thank you so yes. much, Megan and Tanya. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you both tonight. Yeah, I've had you fun. Too. Um. Hey, on our podcast when we're finally ready to record again yeah (laughs) i would absolutely love that it would be my honor so everyone once one final time this has been megan and tanya from take back your sex take back your sex (laughs) i like it it's an italian take back your sex (laughs) and i'm aaron pym and this has been the bedpost podcast Check back, everyone, uh, weekly. We release a new episode every single Friday. And if you would like to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, I would absolutely love that. If you're in Toronto and want to see the Bedpost stage show live, it runs at the Social Capital Theatre the third Friday of every month at 8. For more information on everything Bedpost, visit me at our website, bedpost.ca. And if you have any comments, suggestions, questions, shoot me an email at thebedpostsexshow at gmail.com. Lastly, the Bedpost podcast features original music by Stephanie Copeland. Who can be reached at her website? Stephanie Copeland? Nope. StephCopelandMusic.com Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.